Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 90. It's April 28th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we're going to discuss our projected minor league timetables for a lot of prospects as we shorten up the length of the season. We don't know how much yet. Obviously, some plans have changed as far as when players might be making their debuts. Uh, we had some mailbag questions about windups and box. We had a question about Mitch Keller. So we're going to get to those. We're also going to break down a, a roster that drafted a few weeks ago. There's a kind of a thought of, hey, if the shape of the season's different and I have a roster built this way, am I screwed? So we'll kind of go through that from a, a broader perspective as well. Uh, Eno's beer bracket has launched. We'll talk a bit about that later on in the show as well. Eno, how's it going for you to start this week? Good. Good. I, I, I had a fun set of conversations last night with uh, some people in Korea. Uh, talked to Min Kyu Sung, the GM of the Lottie Giants. Talked to Dan Straley and Josh Hertzenberg, formerly of Driveline and the Dodgers, who's now their pitching coordinator uh, for the Lottie Giants in Busan in Korea. And, um, you know, the fun thing was that was talking to Dan Straley and the, like, it seemed normal, you know, not, not only was I finally talking to a pitcher again and, and we were talking, you know, some, you know, pitching data stuff and what he's doing there, but also just the way he described his life. It sounded like an American trying to figure out Korea. You know, (laughs) he was talking about how. Um, he cut a lot of fat out of his life because, uh, he used to be bigger and he didn't want, he said he didn't want old Dan coming back. And he <laughs> said that, um, uh, Korean food, uh, Korean food that you get at the, at the, at, at restaurants and stuff is pretty fatty. And I think that that fits with what I think of a bimimbap and bulgogi and Korean barbecue. A lot of the stuff is, is pretty fatty meat. Um, and so he said, you know, the kind of, health food chains. I don't know out here in California, we have like, um, I don't know if it's national. Is it called, is it like fresh choice or something? We don't have that here. I, we probably have something similar. That's regional though. Yeah. A place where like you get salads and, and you know, uh, like real chicken, you know, or something, you know, like, you know, healthier choices basically. And, um, and so he said he didn't really have that option. So uh, he's cooking more than ever and he's using the air fryer. And uh, and he said, basically, you know, he's allowed to go out. He's got a scooter. Uh, there's a place about 15 minutes away that he and Adrian Sampson, who he said they're best friends now because they're the the, the two foreign pitchers in, in Lottie. Um, and he says that uh, they basically scooter uh, over to a Shake Shack um about 15 minutes away and there's he said there's a place called um oh what was it called it sounded it was so bad it was called like oh, what was that place called he had a he had a place that basically he, he said he would never go to otherwise but it's the only place where he can get salsa and chips <laughs> um and it's it's like their version of uh of like a maybe a taco bell but more like a chilies maybe i guess it sounded like yeah, that probably sounds about right. Chili's has um, prominent tortilla chips and salsa available. Yeah, and he says that like they feel a little dirty when they do it, and every time they go, they decide that they're gonna do like a real uh, taco night where they cook in and and do it, um, uh, and then they they usually alternate going there and and doing taco nights at home. So, you know, he said he has to wear a mask and uh, he gets temperature tested a fair amount, um, but and, and he also. I tried to talk to him about what, how, what the biggest question I think um, in, in this. And somebody asked about uh, one. Somebody asked about what are the um, morals of testing baseball players repeatedly uh, when testing is not around. I think that baseball could do something like Syria A has done in Italy, which is that uh, for every one test administered to a baseball player, baseball buys five tests uh, for the general public. Um. It's not perfect, you know, but it will ensure that the supply of tests increases rather than decreases because of what baseball is doing. Um, and it kind of um, helps everyone and helps baseball. I think that's a possibility. The other thing is the biggest question is what happens if someone tests positive, if someone, if a baseball player tests positive while they're playing. And um, 
you know, I, I talked to Dan about it and he said, I don't, he's not speaking for all of Korea. He, he said that he doesn't know exactly. And he says he doesn't want to know because it's just more stress in his life. And he's just going to do what he does until someone tells him to stop doing it basically. Um, but he said that like, um, it's a wait and see, like basically the sport would stop for a couple of days while they did contact tracing. And once they did contact tracing and tested everybody that could have, uh, that could have been near the person, uh, they'll, they could reevaluate and basically say, okay, we've got two or three players here that need to be quarantined. Um, we'll just give them a special allowance to, 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 you'll basically just DL those guys, uh, for two weeks and we'll play on, or it's like 15 people on one team. So we have to stop all of baseball for two or three weeks. Yeah, I, I've seen there's 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 kind of a loose proposal in place. Yeah, that that's that's they have they they're working that way, and and so far so good. They made it through the first two weeks uh, where they're doing intra squad games, and now they're doing um, spring training. So whenever we do start up, it's going to be like this. I think in your personal life and in the sports life, where we're going to try and start up, you know, but. We may have to stop again. <laughs> right. And and that's, uh, I think, increasingly something that I have just accepted. Like, yeah. It's not going to be a perfect path forward. At least it's unlikely to be. And yeah. the way we've started to handle our, our day-to-day lives or week-to-week lives, really, if we're talking about like running errands, a lot of those practices are probably still going to hold up for a while. Like e- even if things keep opening up, it's not, Oh, Hey, I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not really going to worry about touching surfaces and whatever. I'm going to go back to the way I was before all this started. I don't think that's how most people are going to handle it. At least I hope most people are going to keep a lot of the habits they've picked up for a while yet, just to really ensure that this doesn't come back in, in worse form. Consolidating all of your errands. Uh, to like like the day out, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Because I, I used to go. I, my grocery habits were bad prior to. Yeah, this. I used to go like two or three times a week sometimes. You know, because like, oh, I forgot this. I forgot this. It was a pain though. Like I, yeah. I started thinking about that recently. I'm like, you know, sitting down with my wife, talking about what we're going to eat for the next week, listing everything out very carefully, buying it all in one at once, making sure we process fruits and vegetables so they don't go bad. Those are all good habits to have, to not go to the store three or four times a week, to not go to multiple stores even. I mean, yeah, I understand. Like, so I, I, I live in a place where stores are pretty close together, and it's not that big of a deal, but I don't know. Like, it, it's, it's pushed me to support the smaller local store because I see how they're treating their employees. I see how they're treating their store in this situation, and you know, I, I want that business to do well. And I've, I've also realized for me, I'm saving time. Like, I... I I'm not dealing with yeah. driving all over the place to break up my list into three parts <laughs> just to yeah. save a few bucks. Like I, I think it's better to save the time and to have that time to focus on other things when I get home. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, what I've done is, you know, uh, we have a robust freezer selection because that was like when I, I freaked out, you know, early on and just bought a bunch of freezer stuff. And we actually haven't gotten to it because we've settled into a fairly regular routine. But what you can do with the freezer selection is uh, fill in that last day or two before you go shopping again. So you plan as much as possible. And then the last day or two, you're having fish sticks or whatever, um, because, you know, you want to make sure you're still kind of doing that once a week thing. So, you know, I think that uh, we, we've found different ways to cope and we're going to continue to find those. I think, you know... Y- we'll, we'll start doing more things. Like, you know, I, I don't know if this is like, if like, I'm allowed to say this publicly, but like, I let my, I let my father come over, you know, I think I you're allowed to over. say that, you know, we've been, we've been sheltering in place for so long. Uh, we kind of haven't been doing going anywhere since like March 10th or so. So we're talking about six weeks. Like we're fairly sure that we we are as- that we don't have it. We're not asymptomatic carriers, and we're f- fairly sure that he doesn't have it. So we allowed him to come over, and and um, it was really like he had a lot of fun. He took the kids to the crawfish pond over here, and um, he said it was like watching me uh, back in the day in rural Georgia. Um, 
you know, looking for crawfish. They even found uh, the biggest crawfish we've ever found in that little pond. So um, it was kind of, you know, I think that we're just going to sort of cautiously feel our way through this. And some of it will be our decision. You know, it won't all be on the national level. Some of it will be our decision on like, how do we move forward? How do we open things up, but still be cautious? And uh, some of it will be institutional. So, and, but I think that the institutional thing will, you know, people kind of look to the institutions like baseball and stuff and be like, oh, you have to have it all figured out. And, you know, you have to protect everybody and all this stuff. I don't know if that's possible. So I think institutionally, they're going to do something similar to us, which is we've come up with a plan that's the best plan we can come up with. We've talked to everybody. It protects people as much as possible. We don't know if it's going to work. And we're going to open up tentatively. And if something bad happens, we're going to have to shut it down again for two or three weeks and, and try again. Yeah, so I think I think that's kind of how uh, we're going to go forward on this personally and institutionally but i think it, it also provides like a little bit of hope that's like we're humans and we're just doing our best to figure this out it's helped a lot in places like the upper midwest madison specifically the weather got a lot better this weekend mm-hmm. so uh, being able to spend a little more time just around the patio and just to be outside the walls a little bit more i think also lifted the spirits for a lot of people in this area especially so uh, we're making progress. It might be slow. I'm not really here also for like the online shaming. Like I saw somebody, uh, I think Matthew Iglesias posted a thing where he's like, oh, some sort of lockdown. And he had a picture of like two people sitting in a bar together. How do you know those? And it was like an outdoor bar. I was like, how do you know those two people weren't locked down together? Like, like when you look at and when you look at, 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 at like crowd shots of like people at the beach or stuff, you know, I can't speak for all of them. And I do think that opening up beaches is a little bit uh, scary, but sometimes like if I went to the beach right now, I would take my family and it might look like five people not, not observing social distancing, but it's the same unit that has been, you know, together for the last eight weeks or so, you know, six weeks. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know that uh, you can look at a picture and, and shame people. So, uh, and I don't, and I'm not really here for like the snitch lines where you're like, you call in and, 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 and like turn in somebody for, for poor behavior just because I, you know, I've been on next door before. Do you know what next door is? No. Is that something you have don't, when you have a house? Don't, don't ever look. <laughs> it's uh it's like a, it's like a Facebook, but for neighborhoods, but it ends up being just like, you know. Uh, they were all talking about how we treated our cats for a while. Ugh. And they, you know, were like, there's this one emaciated looking cat. Are we sure anybody's feeding it? Has anyone seen it being fed? And then someone came to my front door and was like, um, so we're just all really concerned about your cat. And I'm like, oh, Hillary? Yeah, she's the runt. <laughs> Do you want to see how much she eats? I give her three wet food containers a day. I gave her so much food yesterday, she just barfed on the ground. So, yes, we're feeding the cat. Thank you for your concern. Please go away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people have too much time on their yes. hands. Yes. <laughs> I, don't even, I can't people. imagine going on next door right now. It's like, did you see somebody? I mean, there's probably people who are mad that in the neighborhood where I live, if I walk my dog, I'm not wearing a mask in that situation because we're not densely populated. I can right. pass people several feet away. I can cross the street and avoid them. Yeah. Um, I'm not so I'm, running with a mask on, dude. I mean, that's a bad use of a mask if it's a yeah. disposable one. If it's a reusable yeah, exactly. one, maybe okay, but I I don't also know. Also tough to run. <laughs> harder to breathe, yeah. Not, yeah. Uh, not ideal, but... Uh, Let's talk a little baseball because as more pieces come out and the reality has set in for me, it's 81 to 100 games. Ken Rosenthal had a piece that went up on on Tuesday morning and that July 4th date keeps kind of popping up for a lot of people. It just makes so much sense for a lot of reasons. You know, we've talked about the implications on the minor leagues and how that could look completely different. And what a lot of people are wondering about as fantasy baseball gets closer to potentially starting up again is what happens with the top prospects. We talked about Alec Bohm on our last episode, and uh, ETAs in particular could be adjusted quite a bit off of a normal season. 
And uh, we had a question that came in via email from George about a few players. So we'll add his players to some other players of interest for everybody and cover as much ground as possible. Uh, in George's email, he pointed out that uh, some of the minor leaguers that he has are still on their big league rosters. I, I think the broader point for me with rosters right now is I don't think they matter a lot in terms of what they're going to look like when games start. I think there were some procedural things done to preserve club control a little bit and to hold on to some players who had opt-outs. I wouldn't read too much into players being optioned to AAA or not being optioned to AAA prior to the roster freeze. So don't don't sweat that too much. Yeah, and it's a little bit like the DL where they basically don't want to make a decision until the very last moment then when they have to. Right. You know. So unless there's like a 40 or 25 man roster issue, which I think that might have been going on in Cleveland where they wanted to keep some guys uh, around and the other guys were on the 40 so they could they could option them. Then, you know, I think that that was what that was about. But otherwise, like if they don't have to make a decision on Alec Baum, they're not going to make it now Um, and they're not going to telegraph that one. So um, and they're all talking about this like the way we are. I, I, you know, went and. Uh, do we have an email that we want to do we want to say the exact names or yeah, yeah this email was from George um, uh-huh. and it's, it was a two-part question how likely is it that these players contribute in 2020 and will these contributions continue in 2021 uh, Bohm Jonathan India Nationals Luis Garcia Spencer Howard and fifth guy on the list pirate tall stop O'Neill yeah. Cruz <laughs> I like the tall stop that was good um you know, it's up and down. And I think that it, it, the analysis has to end up uh, depending on the team and the player because and I'm not using it as a cop out, but uh, cop out. But I'm just I'm talking to uh, I was just DMing with uh, a person in player development about this exact thing. And he he thought that um, he, one that basically the minor leagues would be complex ball, just like I've been saying, um, basically like intra squad um, maybe you, you travel to a, a close by complex, but not stuff where they're necessarily, um, recording the results in a way that we can see. Um, and, uh, so he said that would be what the minor leagues is like. And then I asked him, well, what if you've got someone who's major league ready, you know, like a Pearson or a Gore or somebody, um, you know, and you don't think that they're going to learn a lot just facing the same guys in the complex every day, uh, you know, what would you do? And they said, if it's a lost year anyways in the show, might as well have them there and see what they can do since most will discredit 2020 anyways, win-win. Um, which was a kind of a bit of a, um, a spin on it that I hadn't thought about was kind of how people, um, how people think of the year and, and, and the, the type of production that happens in it. But um, it is possible that you could just try a player out in the big leagues and almost treat it as, you know, another minor league year. Um, I think that would be maybe something that like the Pittsburgh Pirates with Cabrian Hayes, if you've got an extra roster spot and Cabrian Hayes, you know, you, you feel like he's ready and he hasn't really played. Uh, he's not going to really play that much at, uh, you know, he's not going to learn much in complex ball and you have this extra roster spot. Maybe you bring him up and you don't necessarily give him Colin Moran's job right away, but you uh, see if he plays his way into it or not. You know what I mean? And he and you use it to further develop him and see what you're doing. Um, could be a possibility. Uh, but on the weighing on the other side of this and my friend, you know, had to admit this. It was true that like um, on the other side of it is if you uh, if you're really cheap like the pirates and you think that revenue is going to be bad and it's going to be worse going forward. Then we've talked about this, like then you just want to keep everyone as cheap as possible for as long as possible. So it's about the player, how ready they are, how much they can learn from complex type ball. And it's about the team in terms of how financially stable they are. And it's about the team in terms of how, uh, how good their playoff odds are. So if you kind of set, um, let's say, let's say like 30%, let's say you have a 30% playoff odd or better. And, uh, you've been building and you've got some young players who, who's that like? So the angels have a 33% playoff odds in a short season. Um, maybe that helps them put Adele on the major league squad. 
the White Sox have 35%. Um, I think Kopech, I think Kopech did get optioned, but I do think Kopech will spend the majority of the year in the major leagues this year. Uh, Philadelphia Phillies, 30%. Um, it could be both Baum and Howard if, if they go for it. Um, the Diamondbacks at 31%. I mean, I think there was some risk that Gallon wasn't going to make the rotation, but uh, that risk is gone completely at this point. Yeah, that was kind of an absurd notion at the time. That was probably like midwinter sort of stuff because somebody counted the number of starters in the depth chart and said, hey, they have too many. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when Zach Gallon has options, we're like, no, no, come on. Like, this is a guy that they, they see as a, a big part of their present and future. There's there's yeah. no reason to mess around and play games with him. But I think. And then Mike Lee got hurt like a week later, too. Yeah. And then that, that was kind of just solved that way. But yeah, the teams in the middle, and, and the Padres are definitely part of this, too. This is why Mackenzie Gore is so fascinating. Uh, looking at the Fangraphs playoff odds right now, they have a 40.5% chance of making the playoffs based on the, the Fangraphs projections. That's, Who's that, the Padres? The Padres, that's high. Yeah, yeah. And Which by is, Zips, I was using Zips numbers, sorry. Um, by Zips, it uh, was 42%. So yeah, I mean, I think that they, they uh, and especially with the need for pitching, I wouldn't be surprised if Gore and Patino uh, spend three quarters of the season in, in the major leagues this year. Well, the other part of this too, if you think about revenue and the possibility perhaps of having some fans maybe later in the season or in the postseason or what could be an expanded postseason the incentive to qualify for a postseason in which you can actually have some fans potentially is up it's another reason oh, to, right. to push maybe more by chips that in. point i mean that's the other thing that was in ken rosenthal's uh piece that was like uh, a lot of this is going to be evaluative so they might do a first half where they're like we're going to play in Arizona and Texas or something for the first half. We're going to keep it uh, simple for the first half. And then uh, we're going to reevaluate and see if we can open it up and see if we can do some fans because other leagues are already talking about opening up uh, to fans with like, you know, one third the capacity of usual and some distancing guidelines and masks required and stuff like that. So, um, and, and, and the owners are talking about asking for some clawing back some money from the players um, if they don't have fans because the, the fans represent a big part portion of their, um, of their income. So, uh, there's definitely that cookie, that carrot possibly at the end of making the postseason and, and getting some, some actual fans in seats. And I think among the various proposals, there's been this kind of undertone that there could be more teams in the postseason this season. Um, so that opens up some spots for potential mid-tier teams as well. Now, uh, just to get back to some of the names, Bohm, as we talked about last week, I think he's close. I think he is up for half of this season, if not more. Uh, I think his opportunity may hinge on that extra hitter spot being available in the lineup, not because he would necessarily be the DH, but because they could move some guys around. They could move Gene Segura back over to second base. They could give infielders days off and rotate the DH spot a little bit. Um, so I, I think Bohm of the players, uh, the position players that George asked about, is the most likely to contribute in 2020. I think he's a regular for them by 2021. Um, mm -hmm. But everybody else on that list from the position players, Jonathan India, even with extra roster spots, I have a hard time finding a place for him at least yeah. in terms of playing time, like if rosters are big enough, sure, why not? Kind of as your your friend suggested, but I also don't see the Reds having an incentive to play him over several other more polished, more productive infielders. Yeah. I mean, if he was an outfielder, he has a chance, but even then, uh, they've got Urban and... Um uh Aquino that you know I'm not saying Urban and Aquino are better than India but the Urban and Aquino have both played in the major leagues uh and fit um a bit of a right-handed need and uh play the outfield so it's just um yeah that's not but but like for the Cardinals their playoff odds by zips go from 28 to 34 percent um and I think that's just a yet another argument for Dylan Carlson making the show Right. Dylan Carlson was already kind of tracking towards a very early 2020 debut. He might just be up immediately or within a few days of the season starting. We'll see how service time is ultimately determined. 
but Luis Garcia, I mean, he was a 19-year-old, a, a young 19-year-old. He turned 19 last May. He was at double-A last year. He was below league average, is 79 WRC+, but age to level, I mean, just the fact that he he didn't get completely destroyed by pitching at that level says a lot. Uh, I don't see him coming up in 2020. Maybe he's a part of their infield in 2021, though, just given how aggressively they've been moving him up. Uh, and O'Neill Cruz, I think for the reasons you mentioned, I think the Pirates, they are in that goofy spot where they're always cheap. They're not close to contending. If the NL Central is still the NL Central this year, they're easily the fifth best team in, in the bunch. Uh, I, I think the Cabrian Hayes thing is different because he's older, he's further along, whereas Cruz... And the ceiling is lower. Like, O'Neill Cruz is is a classic, really low floor, really high ceiling guy. Right. He makes a lot more sense for complex ball anyway. Like, even if you put yeah. him on a team that isn't frugal, holding him back for another year probably makes a lot of sense. Make him, make him like, I would love a year of making Cruz feel comfortable you know, uh, at the plate, get him feeling like good about like walking 10% of the time, striking out 22% of the time, hitting as many ground balls as fly balls, and just like sort of evening out his, his like turning more of his tools into skills, you know, and feeling good at the plate. You know, there's, he's had some good seasons and good scratches and some really bad ones. So like an extended year of feeling good at the plate, even if it wasn't against major leaguers, I think, uh, especially since he's 21, I think it's okay. 22 next year, uh, then he's got a full season under his belt. I would say that they probably next year even play the slow game with him, but maybe he's up by uh, 2021, uh, June, July. Yeah, I think he's a, a mid-June 2021 ETA yeah. for me because of the org. I think in other organizations he might be uh, a late April or May 2021 call-up, but the Pirates, you know, they think about Super 2 and... They're they're gonna wait as long as they reasonably can. Um, I would say Garcia is probably like a May twenty twenty one guy. India, I think, needs a trade. I, I think he's sort of blocked for a while. I, I don't really have high expectations for him. Uh, I do think there were some injuries for him though last year, if I'm not mistaken. What's I think scouting gonna be like, and what like I <laughs> like what if you like want to trade India in the off season going into twenty twenty? What's the other team gonna look at? You know, do they send people for looks? Do they get TrackMan? Will like the Reds be like, here's his like we we had TrackMan on him. Here it is. Or are they not going to give that? If they don't give that, did the other team have that TrackMan? That'd be really weird. And not all these complexes will have TrackMan set up. And if they do, it'll be in the like the Reds will own it. You know, it'll be the Reds' data, not like not data they share. Unless people share, that's going to be that. That's a fascinating question that I just stumbled upon. Well, this is kind of like the old football exchange game tape thing. You know, teams yeah. would trade tape ahead of time and each team could prepare. Do teams in a complex situation with their minor leaguers, do they record games? Do they even stream games maybe on social media since the games don't count? There, there are no are you gonna, rights are you holders. let a scout in physically? That might just be part of the plan to, uh, you know, Try to be as safe as possible. Say, hey, no scouts you on have, site for. But you have to season. stream it. You'd have to do something. You have to. You have to have video. I, I, you need. You need to look at other teams' players. So I think they have to work out some kind of exchange or some kind of accessible system. I wonder if it'll be to like watch this these one year blip where like everyone's relying on their scouts because the data is super wonky, and we were supposed to be entering into a new. Uh, a new data stratosphere with Hawkeye. So it's just a, a crazy thing. Here's another thought I had. Uh, just a, off the off the um, rundown question for you. I'm looking at these uh, teams. And of course, in a short season, the, the teams that suffer the most are the, the, the people who are supposed to win it all, basically. So the Dodgers apparently had a 99% playoff odds uh, going into the season by zips and they drop all the way to 70%. And the Yankees were at 91. They dropped to 63 Astros were 84. They dropped to 59. The nationals were 72. They dropped to 50. Uh, the Tampa Bay rays were 77. They dropped to 56. Which of those uh, five teams is, is the one that doesn't make it of the, the good teams that have fallen in playoff odds. 
hmm. because it's a short season. I could see maybe even the Nationals. Um, you know, they seem to be dependent on the on the major league rotation. What if one of those guys goes down with injury, or two of those guys guys go down with injury? Um, I could see them having a hard time uh, putting together a pitching staff. They don't have a lot of depth. You know, like their sixth starter is or their fifth and sixth starters are Joe Ross and Austin Voth, and I don't know what they do after that. It's also easy to look at that team and say, you know, maybe they don't get as much of a step forward from Victor Robles as they'd hope. Maybe Carter Keboom's just kind of okay and, and not above yeah. average. And they you don't see really. The loss of Rendon. Right. I think they, they could feel the loss of Rendon more than. I think they're going to be fine, but they, in their range of outcomes, in their reasonable range of outcomes, they don't do enough to replace him by getting extra production from some of the the younger Castro players that could happen the younger guys yeah yeah and I, the astros are fascinating too because not only are they coming off this big uh, scandal and so we're all waiting to see you know how how much they benefited from that in the past but you know a fair amount of those guys uh really benefited from their home park not in a way where like minute Maid, you know gives everyone homers but like they knew their home park really well and they used it really well so like alex bregman was a little bit like Brian Dozier the year where he pulled every one of his homers down the line. And, you know, Minnesota's not a great place to hit in the center of the field. So Dozier was like, I'm just going to pull these all down the line. And he had like 50 homers one year. I think Bregman did a little bit of that where like his, his stat cast type type power numbers are not really that great. And, uh, but he made the most of it by basically placing all of his uh, powerful batted balls in like the right place for them like the Crawford boxes are like a perfect place to 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 aim for basically you know uh so what if they're not playing there (laughs) um you know what does what does that look like and what what if they don't get the benefits of whatever system they have in place uh in terms of uh you know stealing signs and stuff so uh I think that's a really interesting one that they went from 72 to 50 percent um I have to think that the Rays are the type of team that will benefit from this not only do they they pitch they play in a fairly neutral park like a dome um that that skews a little bit towards pitchers but they have so much organizational depth i mean they just have so much does this mean that like wander franco is like slightly more likely to make the major leagues oh he's still one of the toughest players to figure out because they they have a pretty crowded roster We've talked about this in the past where they can't mix and match every position. But if you give them just a little bit more room, do they say, you know what, we're going to play him. We're going to play Adames up the middle um, you know, with Wander Franco and we're going to just we're going to just take our chances that we we manage the playing time. Right. I mean, I think that's a possibility because you don't do you really want Wander Franco to play complex ball for a year? Is that is that ideal? No, of course not. It doesn't seem like it would really challenge him, and he do- hasn't been challenged yet. He's his WRC pluses in his first three attempts at leagues were all over fifty. Yeah, one hundred and fifty. I-, I don't know. I mean, I think it gives him a slight bump at least, and I think it's to it's like really easy on the ten percent likely or something. Yeah, it, it was probably one or two percent before, right? It was a rash yeah. of injuries before. Now there might be some other considerations that the Rays are, are making. Rosters. Uh, more churn, yeah, and then double then, headers within that is if you do bring him up, how do you handle playing time if he slumps for a while? I mean, like that's a mm-hmm. messy development question to think about too. Is hey, we're gonna throw this guy out there, he's gonna be the bottom third of the lineup to start. We'll see how it goes. If it goes well, he moves up, he plays more. If it doesn't go well, you've got fewer games. You're still trying to make the playoffs, but you're also still trying to continue his development. I mean, I guess that would be some proof in the pudding that the complex minor leagues as they will be for this season might be okay for a stretch because you tried it. He wasn't quite ready. Mm. Um, so I, I think there is an increased chance, but I still think he's a relatively low probability. It, it's, it's still easier to look at a team like Seattle who I think with the fan graphs odds, they still have a, a 0% chance of making the playoffs, which <laughs> the <laughs> technically that's short like season impossible. zips has them all the way up to five. Up to five, okay. So with but their less 5% than the Tigers. Chance, 
less than the Tigers. But those teams, to me, the Mariners, the Tigers, I mean, the Orioles they don't have really have no any elite prospects. They're not going to do play Kalinich in the major leagues this year, I don't think. Right. You're not going to see him. You're not going to see Rodriguez. You're not going to see Rutschman for the Orioles. I mean, I don't think so. You're not going to see Mize. I think you could see Scooble. I think the the difference with pitchers is that you want to make sure you're not just wasting you're not wasting the, the arm, essentially. Yeah. It's a really cynical way to, to look at it, but uh, I think there's at least a chance of that happening. But I think the shortened season has made it easier for the teams that really still don't have much of a chance to say, we're just going to wait and bring these guys up at the beginning of 2021. Yeah. I would say that generally, uh, because we haven't even seen the specifics of the expanded roster, it may just be you know, one or two extra pitchers. And maybe they don't, you know, maybe the owners don't want to spend more money because it would be more money that they're giving out uh, if they have expanded rosters for hitters. And so maybe the retort is, oh, I don't, we don't want to pay for those extra, we'll pay for extra pitchers because we don't want them to all be injured. And we, yeah, we understand that. But maybe they just make it 27 and you get 14 pitchers. Um, And just because of, the potential injury and the potential double headers and the way the season is going to go. I think that um, every ready pitching prospect gets a little bit of a bump. And that I could say that is the one thing I could say across the board. Every ready pitching prospect gets a little bit of a bump when it comes to hitters. It's a little bit more touch and go. Yeah. I think that's a, a pretty good summary as far as how that's likely to come together. But you know, major league, ready starting pitching prospects that have not played in the major leagues are a tough way to make your business in fantasy baseball. Yeah, you're still going to deal with, even with a, an elite talent like Wander Franco, the risk that playing time could dry up right away just because... But I just mean pitchers specifically. I mean, like, the bust rate is higher on pitchers and how many even highly rated, you know, highly thought of pitchers um you know uh bust and then on top of that think about how many guys that you that you like now that struggled early in their careers i mean corbin was up and down um you know uh, are there any more examples there's gotta be more examples (laughs) i mean verlander wasn't verlander right away scherzer definitely wasn't scherzer right away yeah that's true yeah so i i would think that there's there's even more examples if we open it up but um you know, betting on a guy to just, oh, and then there's the types where like Julio Urias or, or, you know, other guys were like, they were good, but they, they were in the bullpen some and they, you know, they didn't, they didn't return a huge fantasy investment. Right. Right. Um, so I, I feel like, uh, and that's going to be uh, possible of all pitchers this year where we don't know how many are going to throw five innings, uh, and when. And, um, you know, I, I saw Tom Tango. Uh, uh, speculating, and I think he's probably right, that there's going to be a lot of bullpen games. Well, it's it's another way to give your young players innings that matter, too. If you have guys that are close and you don't have rotation spots necessarily, two or three innings out of the pen might be kind of where they're at right now. They might have two pitches that are good major league pitches they command well. That'll get them through the lineup once. And if you give them three innings against major leaguers out of the pen, like you might have a chance for them to to sneak in that third pitch and, and still work on it. You know, that was a, I was talking to Nate Pearson about why did you in the minor leagues? Why do they have you throw two innings one one or two innings one day? Uh, you know, take five days off and then throw four or five innings. You know, why didn't they just have you throw three innings every time? He's like, because if I threw three innings, I would never use that third pitch. So they wanted me to to do that. So maybe. Uh, they'll figure out something like that where major league pitchers, they can be in the major leagues and they can kind of be starters, kind of like piggyback or something um, where they combine two guys that are going to throw four innings or something. But um, yeah, it's going to be a weird year. And I would suspect that um, nobody, uh, even like a prorated version uh, gets to like a prorated 220 innings. No, that's just not going to happen. Players got to stretch back out again, too. Yeah. Uh, I think that's something we've been talking about for a little while now as well. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit, or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. 
Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. The Black Tux has an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code DRAFT. That's theblacktux.com, code DRAFT for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, more questions to get to. And uh, the next one is one that I had thought about a while ago and basically forgot about it. Uh, not the you know the specific player, but uh, this is a, a broader question that came to mind. This comes from Fred. Do you have any strong opinions on how pitchers are starting their windups? Thinking of someone like Mike Clevenger and how he rocks into his motion, it's something that seems odd, but games like MLB The Show have made it seem like that was common among historical pitchers. Um, so that's the first part of the question. And, you know, I was thinking about this just from a repeating your mechanics standpoint and how if it were completely up to me, I would not want my pitchers to have a stretch in a windup delivery. I don't think it's good to have two different deliveries. Um, but how do you feel about pitchers who still that's, work that way? That's a general trend. The, the, the general trend in baseball is is to have one delivery uh, and to pitch out of the stretch all the time, basically. And um, I think that the, the, the things that generate velocity are not necessarily um, the things in the windup, like the, 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 the stuff that you see when they're sort of getting into their windup. Like, I think that the things that generate velocity generally have to do with, uh, your shoulder rotation as it, as it's coming through, um, your lead leg and, uh, how, how your, uh, how your torso rotates. Um, so that's a lot of sort of compact right at, 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 at delivery stuff, not so much like, all that sort of gathering that people used to do. And I think of like Daniel Mengden where he had like this crazy rock in the thing. And I love watching it, you know? Um, but you know, it, it, it didn't lead to good outcomes when he had to go to the stretch. He was always a person that did really poorly once he was forced to go to the stretch. Um, I think cause he lost some command and he, and he didn't, you know, focus on his, uh, pitching out of the stretch. And the other thing is, um, uh, that, uh, a long arm path in the back has there's some link between that and injury. Um, so I, I can imagine that there's a lot of old school deliveries that sort of require a lot of sort of rocking. And then the ball is sort of coming back up, uh, you know, in the back and it, and it takes a long path and that, that could lead to timing issues. And it, and it generally is the more complicated your delivery is like, I think that's where you were going a little bit too is, the more complicated delivery is, the more stuff you have to repeat every time. And yeah, I mean, maybe you've been doing this your whole your whole life, and so you you're actually okay with it. But maybe um, a little bit of an injury here, a little bit of injury there. Now all of a sudden, all these complicated things that you're doing are set out of whack, and and you can't get them back together again. So I think generally there is a a, a trend towards pitching out of the stretch and simpler pitching motions. Yeah, I was also wondering too if maybe you become more susceptible to tipping pitches if you're working out of a windup. You got more moving parts. There could be something that teams pick up that on. You do differently every time. Yeah, yeah, that just that kind of gives away, you know, what you're actually going to do. Um, I, I wish that I uh, maybe I I should do more research into uh, pitching mechanics. That the stuff that I've read is uh, not something that you can necessarily uh, see with the naked eye very easily. Um, has to do with, uh, force into your, your, your lead leg, um, and how much your, your shoulder, uh, like the, the relationship of you, like your shoulder and timing issues. I, I, like, I, I don't think I can look at a video and be like, oh, that guy's going to get injured a lot. At the same time, when I look at Joe Ross or Tyson Ross, or when I look at, um, Clevenger, there's some violence 
in the delivery that makes me concerned, I guess. Um, but I will have to admit that I don't necessarily have the vocabulary and the knowledge to tell you exactly why. That's a little bit more, I guess, speaking out of my ass. But um, I will say that, you know, watch Clevenger. That delivery looks fairly violent. Yeah. And he's had a fair share of weird injuries. Kind of makes you wonder, yeah, there is a a change around the corner. There's a would you rather today. There could be. I don't know. There's a a would you rather today on uh, on the athletic Bieber or Clevenger. Um, And I think Zach Meisel did a great job of writing it up. Um, The first comment was, I'd rather have Clevenger for a game, but Bieber for his career, basically. And I think I agree with that because I think Bieber is the kind of guy I would want to bet on to continue his success year to year because he's so good at command. He's so good at deli- at, at replicating his delivery. He's so smooth, basically. Um, but Clevenger's violence in a single game, I think, maybe has more upside in terms of just scaring the crap out of the hitters, <laughs> <laughs> throwing the ball harder, you know, and uh, and having uh, different movement profiles. So. Um, but I just, I don't know that I have confidence in Clevenger to, uh, have a real long s- string of healthy seasons. I don't know. Clevenger's a little bit older than you think too. It's not always as simple or as 29, that. I mean, right? Yeah. He's already 29. I mean, like Jacob deGrom was a college shortstop converted pitcher, had Tommy John, like his, his path to when he broke out kind of made sense when you traced it all back and everything. But um, yeah, Clevenger. It's it's surprising to Must me. He's already twenty nine. That's that's, uh, that's slowed the time frame, right? Yep. I don't no. think. I mean, in the minor leagues, he was pretty good. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, he he got stuck in the low levels with the Angels for a while. So I would assume those were some injury seasons way back in like twenty. Without many innings. I mean, twenty thirteen, he had five innings. That might have been a surgery. And in twenty fourteen, he had forty four nine a hundred. Yeah, 150 with the Indians. He's only had one 200-inning season. Yeah. It's definitely more injury risk there than you might think. It's not just yeah. the stuff we've seen in the big leagues. Uh, the other question from Fred was about Craig Kimbrell, and he wants to know, shouldn't something like Kimbrell's setup in the stretch be a balk as he comes set, he rocks towards home and back repeatedly? Uh, it seems like a weird rhythm thing for him, but it's not something I remember seeing even 10 years ago. It seems like it violated the letter of the law for a balk, given that a pitcher is moving toward home and stopping. There's Any a, idea where it may have come from? There's a few guys that I think balk. I mean, John Gant does something really weird. He's tweet. He's cleaned his up a little bit compared to yeah. when he first broke in. Yeah. Didn't even Fulton Nierch have like a little bit of a, a foot? There's some weird things where like you can't really put your foot down twice and some people do it. Um, I don't know. I think the Bach is unevenly, um, adjudicated and is not a great rule and could use clarification. I think the, the whole lefties pickoff move thing is the kind of a ridiculous idea. This like 45 degree line that no one ever is looking at, you know? Why can't they just put that down on, on some chalk or something if that exists? <laughs> uh, yeah. And think about the angles that the umpires are having when they're trying to judge that. There's a yeah. guy, you know, a guy at first base, but he's not like, he's not a 90 degree angle to the pitcher. He's like a little bit off. I don't know. Uh, anyway, those, I think those are also um, the kind of rules that if you go to to the game with somebody who, is more of a casual fan. They don't want to, they don't care about those rules. <laughs> no, they don't want to hear about them. <laughs> it is not the most exciting thing. Um, about yeah. baseball. I do. I do think it's like, I think it's worth like questioning. Like, yes, I think Kimberl's like a little bit weird and Gantz was weird. And caps's thing was Carter caps when he used to do that sort of jumping off the mound thing was a little bit weird. Um, and if there's, but the thing is, generally uh being super weird um in your delivery is going to uh lead to command issues 
and uh, repeatability issues and stuff like that. So I think that's generally why we don't see more of them. Not necessarily because of the rule, because the rule is is not applied uh, judiciously. Thanks a lot for the question, Fred. We got another question here from Daniel. It's about Mitch Keller. Uh, Daniel wrote, he's had a fair amount of buzz this season, and you've been down on him apparently because of a straight fastball, which kind of begs the question, how hard is it to change a grip and try to get movement on the fastball? Reports have said they are trying to change his pitch mix, which sounds promising. So, Mitch Keller specifically, you know, with the Pirates making some significant changes to how they're approaching pitching, where do you fall on him for 2020 and maybe even for 2021 as well? Well, you know, I like him. Um, I like him because there are a lot of parts there. You know, I, you know, in terms of stuff plus, um, you know, the the driveline stuff number, uh, the slider is twenty percent above league average. The curveball is thirteen uh, percent above league average. The fastball, even with its issues, is a ninety-five. So it's it's there. And the changeup is not great at an 85, but like, you know, that, that could be a show me change. Um, and, and so I think that there's enough there. And I think if he hasn't solved the fastball issues by now, then uh, it's not huge hope that he's going to change the movement profile on his fastball at this point, at this age, this many fastballs he's thrown in the past. So I actually think that it's most hopeful that we're hearing about his pitch mix change. Uh, last year, he only threw th- sliders 20% of the time. Um, and in terms of command plus, let me see here. Let's see if he can command that, uh, that slider enough to uh, use it much more. Um, come on, Mitch Keller slider. There we go. Mitch Keller slider, command plus 102. So eh, that's not a huge number, but it's, you know, above average command of the slider. Uh, So maybe he pushes that slider uh, percentage to 40%. um, And he uses the slider to get some strikes in counts where he was throwing the four seam and getting tattooed. I mean, last year, the, uh, the the four seam had a 703 slugging percentage. So, you know, that was a problem. Uh, the slider had a, had a 289 slugging percentage. And I'm not saying that just if you replace one with the other, bingo, presto, bingo, bango, you've got a guy. But um, I do think that uh, being less predictable with the four seam is a way out for him because he's got two good breaking balls and maybe a show-me change. Um, and that's enough to take pressure off the fastball. So I, I, I don't think he's going to change the movement profile on that fastball very much. Uh, but I do think... Uh, he can change his pitch mix, and so that's the most hopeful thing. Yeah, so if he gets that fastball usage down maybe closer to 50% and bumps up the change a little bit, maybe each of the breaking balls a tick, you know, that gives him a little more balance too. So maybe just yeah. getting away from the fastball would help. And he loves it because it's a 96-mile-an-hour fastball, but it just in terms of movement, it's straight. You know, it doesn't have much wiggle and it doesn't have much ride. So... You know, 60%. He should not be using the 60%. No, I think that's something we'll see the Pirates tweak, though, this season. I'm a little more optimistic about their pitching now than I have been probably in four to five years at least. I mean, it's it's been quite a while uh, since I was looking at that team and rounding so up on how skills. You, how you can fall behind so fast. I mean... That was one thing that uh, I was talking to some player development people about. And I was like, you know, like how much of a slog must it be to always be out in front? Because as soon as you think you have something, you have two or three years before everyone's doing it. And if you don't, and he was like, you just have to keep trying to innovate. They have to keep pushing it and you have to keep pushing it. Foot on the gas as hard as you can and realize that we're not always right now, but we have to keep going forward because otherwise we're going to get fall behind. I think that's the only explanation for what happened with the race series and the Pirates. They were on top of the game at one point, and then they just didn't keep innovating. I mean, they wrote a whole book about it. Sawchick <laughs> wrote Big Data Baseball about how great the Pirates were. They couldn't have been idiots, but I think they must have been complacent, or or maybe it was just the luck of how the player personnel worked out. I don't know. I think that's the scary thing for teams. We've talked about this just from building rosters like back in, in labor, 
I looked at what worked for me last year, saw that I had the flaw of buying two closers, and then repeated the flaw because it worked so well last year and thought, why did I do the thing that didn't work last year even though the result was good? Uh, you do have to evaluate your process as a team. Separately. You do have to constantly change it. Like even, even when you get things right, it might not be entirely because of your process. It's exactly what you said. It might just be the perfect storm with the talent in the system at the time making it look like it worked a lot better than the system actually was working. Or the con- the, the other side, or that, that later the, the personnel didn't fit the, what they were doing and it made them look bad even though they were they were doing the right thing. So, yeah, and I, I tried to change my labor uh, philosophy a little bit because um, I got so close last year, but Luis Severino really hurt me. And so what I thought was, you know, I will spend a little bit less um, on my ace and 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 filter that money down uh, and try to get uh, a bunch of guys who will be healthy because, uh, you know, getting innings is so difficult right now. Um, and that's where I lost was innings and wins uh, that, that Severino would have given me. So uh, did I overreact? Was that a good uh, was that a good thing to learn? You know, that's very difficult to know if you're learning the right thing. Yeah, uh, I think it's even more difficult when you're just trying to figure out what's next, though, too. Like, that's a, a constant innovation mindset would be exhausting to have. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You could save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code RATES at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code RATES for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code RATES. All right, we had another question come in this week from Nathan, who uh, was writing from Australia, which is awesome. Uh, glad we have kind of a, a global audience now for this uh, this pod. But, you know, uh, he drafted before all of the baseball world and the general world came to a halt, and he went very pitching heavy in his 12-team league. It's a league that has a 1,500 innings limit. Uh, you know, starter wins, homers allowed, Ks holds, ERA, whip, walk rate, quality starts, and net saves as categories. So he went very heavy with pitching. He's got a lot of good pitchers, though. He's got Cole, Clevenger, Castillo, Rikidi, Paxton, Gore, Rogers, Nick Anderson, Tommy Canely, Dustin May, and Giovanni Gallegos for a pitching staff. And he's just worried that if his league is going to fade pitching in a shortened season, is he imbalanced? And I, I really don't think the league changing its plans is going to change much in a league where you have that many pitching categories and you have so much talent already there i mean he sent us his list of hitters too i think the offense is it's solid it's not as deep and great as that pitching staff is but would you be worried about having too much pitching in a year where injuries could theoretically go through the roof given the unusual yeah. shape of everything yeah that's a good point um i do worry a little bit about that offense i mean uh, Posey, Freeman, LeMay, Hughes, Suarez, Suarez, uh, getting more time to, 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 uh, heal that shoulder might be good. Andrews, Loriano, Schwarber, Chu, Cruz is good. Segura, Avisel Garcia, David Peralta, McCutcheon, Fletcher. I just, I'll tell you what I'd be tempted to do. I would be tempted to package Clevenger and someone like Chu, uh, for a stud bat. Yeah, try to turn one potential ace into a top 30, top 40 type hitter. And the reason I picked those names was Chu um, leaving 
he would have left uh, a really nice uh, home park anyway uh, to go to the new park in Texas this year. Uh, but um, just generally, that's a person leaving a hitter-friendly park. Um, and maybe he's in Arizona where, you know, maybe he's at a park where it's super hitter-friendly too. But um, at his age, he's also an injury risk. Um I don't know. That just a, that's a name that sort of jumped off the the, few, the off the page at me. Um and I just feel like hitting is uh man, the thing is hitting is going to be easier to find because there's there's going to be so much hitting. Right. I that's that was kind of where I was going to go too is just to say, hey, you know, even if you don't have enough bats right now, it's a 12 team league. It looks you like it's pretty deep in terms two. of rosters. You could just you, drop yeah. two for somebody that that it takes a job or something. Or, or David Fletcher to me is probably a cut yeah. in a twelve-team league. I know he's versatile, but you're going to find somebody. He mentioned AJ Pollock being available. I'd rather have AJ Pollock than than David Fletcher. Especially if, right they, now. if there's a universal DH, Pollock could be a, a big uh, gainer from that. In fact, exactly. universal DH would create um, sort of twelve jobs. I mean, it might not be twelve. We've talked about how it'd be more nuanced than that, but there'd be. 12 potential uh, type jobs that, that, that somebody could fill in the national league um, that could create, you know, 10 to 12 interesting new hitters in 12 team leagues. So yeah, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced. Uh, hold tight, hold tight. Maybe you'll win your pitching stats. Maybe you'll win your pitching stats with a, like a three, six ERA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It could be a really, really nasty pitching staff that uh, Nathan has put together, but uh and Dustin May, what's fun too about Dustin May is that um, he may end up being a vulture starter, uh, may end up getting more innings than just a reliever. So um, that's a fun sort of S- RP eligible SP basically um, that you might be able to play with there. Yeah, I agree with you there. Now, one more thing we want to talk about on this episode, the beer bracket, that post that went up this morning. What should people do with that? Yeah, uh, check it out. Uh, yell at me for what I missed, uh, what I didn't include, or what I included. That's fine. Um, that seems to be uh, what brackets are about. But uh, what I do find interesting is that there are a fair amount of really close votes. Coors Light versus Miller Light, Brooklyn Lager against Stella, Stella Artois, uh, Firestone Walker Easy Jack against Boulevard Tank 7 is tied right now. Um what else is is basically a tie? Uh, actually, they're starting to starting to separate a little bit. But three Omagong, three philosophers against Newcastle is is close. Uh, so there's a there's a few and and the one that really bothers me. And I if I can just I don't want to put my finger on the scale, but could <laughs> some people please go and vote for Sierra Hazy Little Thing over New Belgium Fat Tire? Oh my God, Hazy Little Thing is two hundred votes back of Fat Tire, and you couldn't pay me to drink a Fat Tire. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm trying to, uh, maintain objectivity. I'm running the bracket. I'm not, uh, not telling you to, but I am telling you go over his little thing. I've heard great things about Hazy little thing. I actually haven't had one yet, but, uh, that's, that's very, it's very sessionable hazy, right? That's the, yeah, the goal there. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's a great crossover beer for people who say they don't like IPAs because it's not bitter. Anyway, <laughs> get those we'll see who in. we'll see who, and, and then on Thursday we can uh, talk about the final four. Which I what I tried to do at the beginning was, as you heard from the matchups, tried to keep light beer against light beer uh, and style reasonably within style. Uh, but at the in the final four, you know, we're gonna have like my prediction is probably um, maybe Jungling. People, people love Yingling. Like it yeah, is. Yeah, Yingling, Yingling, um, founders all day, and uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale or Sculpin versus Guinness. And I think that's a fine final four. I think that actually that's the point of this. The point of this is to like. Talk about our favorite beers that are readily available. The kind of beer that you'll get when you're at the airport and you, there's no nothing better. 
uh, or you, you get at the grocery store or, or, uh, to also bring different kinds of beer drinkers to the table. Cause I know every time I talk about craft beer, there's always someone who says, ah, oh, all I want is Coors Light in a can. Okay. Vote. You're in this one. Everybody's included in this one. Yeah. And I just thought also, uh, there's actually, uh, some data, uh, interesting data on this. Um, flagship sales and grocery store beer sales are flat to up. Um, so basically we're getting more of our, we're, we're like, we're consolidating our deliveries. We're consolidating our, our desire to go outside. Like we were just talking about, like, you know, go to the grocery store once a week, that sort of deal. And if you consolidate like that, and if you, you just, you think about things that way, you're going to probably get your beer from your grocery store if you can't. Because that means one less delivery, one less, you know, contact with the outside world, one less expenditure, you know. So I think that's what's happening is that people are kind of going back to their their favorites. And also, sometimes you have to buy a case like when I get delivery, uh, even from in, in breweries here, I, sometimes I have to buy like 24 cans of something. And I've literally decided not to do delivery from some place because I'm like, I don't know. I like that beer, but I don't know if I want 24 of it. It's a big commitment when you can't have people over to help you drink it. Yeah, right, that too. So like these are the kind of beers where you would get a 24 pack cuz you've known it your whole life and uh you know you you got to get the house through the week and this is the one thing you can all agree on. So that's that's that was the kind of thinking behind the beer bracket. I know that uh some people are killing me from one side saying, "Oh, the macros, the Coors Light, they sell the most Bud Light sells the most beer, you know, how did it lose in the first round?" I don't know. People like Coors Light better, I guess. And then, you know, there's other people being like, where's Bell's Too Hard? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't get Bell's Too Hard at my grocery store. Can you? I was wondering you about that. If that was you like, can get too. Hard I, I know I can get it here. Yeah, because it's the next it's one state over. So I get all the best. I know stuff that the in the store. northeast you can get it, too. But I don't think the southeast, the northwest or the southwest um, uh, see Bell's Too Hard. So maybe I, I think- I'm missed the bank on that one. But. One really good litmus test is if your grocery store has uh, a build your own six pack cooler. You know, whatever's in there, that stuff's usually either very local, and then there's like a few rows of very widely available. Like you can grab a Guinness. Yes, it's two hearted's in there here. Like that's like I'm talking about. We're talking about the, t- the twelve and the twenty four packs. That's that's the kind of beers we're talking about. Yeah. So definitely weigh in at Enoceras on Twitter. Check out the article on the Athletic and. Uh, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a free 90-day trial, theathletic.com slash free 90 days. If you're able to support the site with a paid subscription, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Thank you all for supporting the site at this time. Thank you for listening to our show. We always appreciate that. And if you're enjoying the show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please give us a rating and review. Uh, many of you have taken the time to do that. Thank you if you have done that, and thank you if you are going to do that in the days and weeks ahead. As always, you can email us, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Just spell out the word and. If you go the email route, as I mentioned before, he's at Enoceris on Twitter. I'm at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Thursday. Thanks for listening.